1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
2: I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline... Let's just go ahead and do this. Five, four, three, two, one. (laughs) Happy new podcast. Happy new podcast. (laughs) Folks, guess what? We made it through 2013, and it is 2014. We're coming at you the very first day of the year. If you are listening to this, the date is coming out. And if you are, I, I hope that you are feeling Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed from the evening beforehand. I know I typically do on New Year's Day. That's right, because you know what makes a head feel great is a few glasses of champagne. Yeah, definitely. And Caroline, you know a great way
2: to start a new year
0: Mm -hmm.
3: with a rerun.
2: I think it's an interesting rerun. Very, very topical.
3: Yeah. You know, old Lang Syne, where may old acquaintance be forgot. Yeah. Well, we're going to actually remember. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do the opposite and remember last year's episode on New Year's resolutions because tis the season for mm-hmm. making resolutions. That's right. And last year we took a look at the science of New Year's resolutions and willpower to find out whether or not we really have a very good chance of sticking to our guns on them.
2: That's right. And this year, I can't say that my resolutions, I don't really tend to make them. I can't say that they're very different for this year, mainly just to uh, continue to try to get up early and, and exercise before work.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm resolving to get up earlier as well. Ugh, I'm not looking forward no, to No, bed it. is so comfortable. Bed is comfortable. But hey, on a positive note, I'm also resolving better podcasts than ever before in 2014. That's right. Yeah. So with that, on a hopeful note, we shall now segue into this revisitation of our examination of whether or not New Year's
2: resolutions really work. Yeah. So take a listen and let us know yours. myself uh i'm not really big on new year's no i i think the pressure is is too high for this holiday i i find it stressful i would rather just i know it's an excuse to party and yes i will find a party but i would rather just like have a low-key night of hanging out rather than trying to go somewhere where i do have to wear sequins (sighs) there's also a lot of pressure to like Tell yourself and everyone around you that you're going to somehow make yourself better. Oh, yeah. It's the fresh start. And it's not just in the U.S. This is a
3: cross-cultural thing. People love New Year's because it gives us a chance, at least mentally, to say, okay, you know what? Last year I did some things, whatever, but I (laughs) I can be... I can be a new person this year. I can resolve to make myself better. Do you have, do you, do you make New Year's
2: resolutions, Caroline? I do not. I used to, uh, when I was a naive person who believed that by simply saying I will start running, I would start running. And that consistently did not happen. So I was like, you know what? Instead of just disappointing myself every January 3rd, <laughs> I am just going to try to make slow lifestyle changes here and there and not worry about promising something on January 1st.
3: Well, as we will get into more in the podcast, Caroline, you are really on the right track when oh, it comes to finally when it comes to these resolutions. Um, but first, before we get into whether or not resolutions really work and when they do, because I have known people who will set out with some kind of large goal, like uh, quitting smoking or having a healthier lifestyle, losing weight, and they actually stick to it, and they do it. Um, so we'll talk about the ways that uh, people can succeed in those kinds of things but usa.gov just for fun has tracked the kinds of things the most common things at least that americans resolve to do and they're pretty easy to to guess less boozing, less using (laughs) i keep rhyming Uh, eating healthier food getting a better education better job Getting fit, managing debt, which I'm sure is a big one. I think money matters in general are a big one for people. Um, quitting smoking, taking trips, volunteering, saving money, basically becoming perfect human beings.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I do better with some of those things. I, it's all in cycles. Oh, like yeah. sometimes I'm really good at saving money because I just get in the mindset of like, no, dummy, you can't go to the mall every day. That's just ridiculous. Who does that? And so I, I become really good at, you know, eating at home instead of eating out and doing all that stuff. But I, I, sometimes you can't be good all the time. No,
3: you need to allow yourself some indulgences. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, one interesting thing, though, about New Year's resolutions is just how long we've been making them. I suspected that it was more of a modern cultural invention, that New Year's resolutions are this huge thing that everybody has to do. But no, in fact, uh, this is coming from the Book of Christmas by Jane Struthers. Uh, She talks about the history of resolution making and how ancient Romans and Babylonians would make resolutions at the start of the year. And Babylonians... Specifically, promised to repay debts and return borrowed objects. And this was also popular among, not surprisingly, much later in history, the Puritans.
2: I like the Babylonian resolutions. Well, they're not really resolutions, but just like, I'm going to give back what's owed. Yeah. That, that seems like it's an easier, more noble goal than I'm going to start eating fewer cheesy poofs. Although that's pretty noble too. If you yeah. can accomplish it. <laughs> it's,
3: it's true. Um, but it's even still though, uh, these days, I'd say there's a lot of cynicism towards resolutions, even though it's something that it's, it's a strange part of almost human nature. It seems like mm-hmm. considering how long we've been doing this, but it's also been accompanied by this growing acknowledgement that maybe resolutions are, just empty gestures that we make to make ourselves feel better at the beginning of the year. Uh, For instance, uh, Struthers quotes Mark Twain, who once said, uh, New Year's Day uh, is now the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving
2: hell with them as usual. (laughs) Oh, Samuel Clemens. Some people last longer than a week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Oscar Wilde also was skeptical. He said, good resolutions are simply checks that men draw on a bank where they have no account.
3: And the thing is, uh, Mark Twain and Oscar Wilde were not off the mark in terms of being dubious that Mm -hmm. people will actually stick to their resolutions.
2: So there were two studies by John Norcross of the University of Scranton back in 1989. John John Norcross has actually focused a lot on resolutions, willpower, all that stuff. And he found that 77% of people maintain their resolutions for one week. So there you go. One week. That's pretty good. Good job. Only 19% maintained for the full two years that they followed people. But I still think that's pretty good almost 20% of people holding on to the resolutions for 2 years.
3: Yeah, although I mean it, we we don't have details on what precisely those resolutions were. Um and I also really liked the name of the study it was called the resolution solution longitudinal examination of new year's change attempts. I love academia sometimes. <laughs> um yeah, and um, among those 200 people that norcross tracked a little bit over half of them experienced at least one slip-up, and those slip-ups would be precipitated by self-reported lack of personal control, excessive stress, which is something to keep in mind as we talk about resolutions, and negative emotions. And even though um, those studies are a little bit dated, they're, the, the numbers still apply today for the most part. It's not like we've gotten any better, really, at keeping resolutions in the intervening years. Um, John Tierney over at the New York Times recently looked at statistics on uh, how how good we are these days at keeping resolutions and forewarned that sorry to say this, folks, a third of people will have broken their resolutions by January and half of us will just give up by July. But that still leaves 50% after July. Um, And one of the reasons why we tend to give up um, has to do with us finding ourselves, or at least thinking ourselves too busy, perhaps, to really put the effort to dig in and make the sacrifices. Um, also in the New York Times, Tara Parker Pope reported on a 2007 survey by time management firm Franklin Covey that polled 15,000 customers, uh, and they found that nearly 40% attributed breaking their resolutions to having too many other things to do. And then 33% were just, I would say, probably a little more honest and said they just weren't as committed to the resolutions as they were when the clock struck midnight.
2: Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to go from being a couch sitter day in and day out to being like, no, I'm going to train for a marathon. I mean, that's that's a major step. And to just decide automatically that you're going to do that, like... Maybe get an app, like the couch to the 5k app right. or something like that. Like, take it in steps. It is, it can be so overwhelming. I know, you know what I'm talking about. It can be so overwhelming to be like, I'm just gonna make a, la- a radical life change. Right. Just because
3: it's New Year's. Yeah. And we don't think about, uh, the incremental steps needed to get to that place of actually having a resolution that works.
2: Yeah. Um. So, speaking of, of resolutions working, you you do really have to be committed. And so, you know, Kristen cited the 33% who said they simply just weren't committed. They didn't feel like, you know, following through on whatever promise they made. And uh, Kimberly Moffat, who's a psychotherapist, quoted uh, in the Huffington Post, said that New Year's resolutions only work in very few cases, and typically with those who have a will of steel. And this gets into the whole... Like willpower issues, like strength of will. What makes people commit? And so it, it can be really hard to commit. This is a, another John Norcross study. We mentioned him earlier. This one uh, in 2002. He found that by the end of January, 36% had already broken their resolutions. Like we said, it can be overwhelming. And it really is overwhelming if we're faced with too many tasks. So not only are we like going back to work, we're getting over the holidays, we're trying to clean up after all the relatives have been in the house, and we want to start training for a marathon, it can just be a lot to handle.
3: Yeah, and uh, Michael Bader, who is a senior advisor for the Institute for Change, also says that uh, resolutions don't work because we have an unconscious resolution to not change. Basically, he he thinks that our bad behaviors serve unconscious beliefs and needs that are the building blocks of our identities. So he gives an example of an overeater who's unsuccessful at dieting because binging provides momentary relief from feelings of loneliness and or anxiety but i mean the thing is so because he he also goes on to say like this has nothing to do with heredity or neurobiology you know it's just these these unconscious parts of who we are we can't divorce ourselves from them but it sounds like that's just not getting at the real root of the problem and shrugging off you know oh well i'm not going to I'm not gonna change really, yeah. I'm just gonna.
2: Like, I don't feel like cheesy poofs are a cornerstone of my identity. I just really like them. That's all. Like, I, I don't think that giving up cheesy poofs will reveal anything that's like deep seated in my brain. But what does the poof represent, Caroline? Happiness. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, another reason is that we really don't want to do them. Yeah. According to, uh, this is, uh, Steve Airy, who's a negative Nancy confidence coach quoted over at Life Hacker. He said that this is because resolutions are really about what we should do rather than what we want to do. So it's like doing your homework instead of playing video games. You know, it's like, it's what you should do to better yourself, but do you really feel like you want to do it? And then he goes on to explain that they're like goals, but he said that this is a negative. Which I kind of take issue with and I think is weird. So he says that resolutions are like goals, which puts a gap between where you are now and where you want to be. And I don't think that's inherently negative. I think if you see a goal that you want to go for, whether that's getting a new job or losing weight, you should go for it. But anyway, mm-hmm. he says that making resolutions make you look at what's next, not what's right in front of you, and they make you feel less than lowering your self-esteem, which I think, I, I feel like he's getting it backwards. <laughs> I don't know about you. (laughs) I mean, I could see that coming into
3: effect if you set yourself up for cycles of defeat where Mm -hmm. you continually set goals and then that are too ambitious and then you don't meet up to them. And then that would probably ding your self-esteem and, uh, you know, lower you rather than propel you forward, because it seems like resolution should be more of a motivational factor. I think it's more something that uh, Christy hedges who's a leadership coach um and quoted over at Forbes talked about the fact that we set too lofty of goals. It's like this all or nothing thing. I'm going to become You know, I'm going to sculpt my body so much so that when I go to the beach, people will ask to take my photo. And that's not going to it's not going to happen with, you know, one Zumba class a week or whatever it is (laughs) that we think um, can do it. And so when we don't hit this transformational point in a short
2: amount of time, then we just throw the whole Throw the whole thing out. Yeah. Well, she also says that culturally we're all pretty cynical and that we live up to our low expectations because we're setting these incredible goals that we don't honestly expect to meet. And so it's that much easier to just be like, whatever, I'm not going to go run anymore or I'm not going to do X, Y, Z anymore because I never really expected that I'd, you know, succeed anyway. I also like how she refers to
3: this as the cynical zeitgeist, which supports the gravitational pull of the status quo.
0: Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, hedges. <laughs>
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Um but
3: there is some science though to resolutions and more specifically to the willpower that it takes to change things. Because I think that resolutions can be a very good thing. I think that we're just going about them oftentimes the wrong way. But when you figure out how willpower works in the brain, maybe we are arming ourselves with some uh, some information to help us succeed because... Sticking to resolutions, i.e. willpower, takes actual energy.
2: Yeah. So it turns out that when you run out of willpower, you're running out of energy, like Kristen said, that is powered by glucose in the bloodstream, which Roy F. Baumeister, a social psychologist, calls ego depletion. He points out that you really have to anticipate the limits of your willpower. And what is it? about willpower? Why does it run out? What's going on? Well, one of the reasons
3: why it runs out is because all of the research into into ego depletion into willpower um, finds that we don't really have very much of it. Willpower is a very fleeting thing. Humans like to give in to their indulgences. And um, if we don't exercise it much like a muscle we we aren't going to be able to 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 use it very much um and this was something that uh Jonah Lehrer who before I can hear eyebrows raising right now I realize he is uh running into some issues lately with some citations but nevertheless he wrote uh he did write a fascinating piece over at Wired a while ago um called the willpower trick and i just wanted to call out some of these um studies that he highlighted Uh, He talks about behavioral economist Baba Shiv, who asked two separate groups to memorize either a two-digit or a seven-digit number. And later on, those two groups were um, tasked with choosing between a piece of chocolate cake or a fruit bowl, knowing that the fruit would be a healthier option. And he found, Shiv found that the people who had to memorize the seven-digit number were much more likely to just give in to the temptation and eat a piece of chocolate cake because, Shiv surmised, their brains were more taxed. Those blood glucose levels were lower, and hence they had more ego depletion. Yeah,
2: and this is the same thing. You get home from work all day, you've probably exercised willpower, not just in avoiding the dessert tray at lunch, maybe, but also, like, not cursing all day at work. You've exercised willpower to not be your usual jerk self. You get home at night, your brain is tired, and you're like, okay, I could grill a chicken breast, or I could just eat this whole macaroni and cheese plate from the grocery store. I love cheese. Is this a theme? I think this is a theme. I think it's a theme, but I like it.
3: Um, and, and, but going more into the research, back in the 1960s, uh, there's a, a famous experiment uh, by a guy named Walter Mischel who wanted to test whether or not kids could hold out for treats, basically looking at willpower in childhood. And uh, he identified among the kids who were able to hold out, he identified something he called strategic allocation of attention, in which they literally distracted themselves from the, I think it was a
2: marshmallow Mm -hmm. or some kind of chocolate treat on the table that it was sitting there. Um, Yeah, because he told them that they could either eat the marshmallow now Mm -hmm. or wait until the researcher comes back in the room and then they get two marshmallows. Yeah.
3: And all of the kids who just sat there and stared at the marshmallow and tried to wait it out had much more trouble and would usually just gobble up the marshmallow. But the kids who would cover their eyes so they couldn't see it, they would sing songs to themselves, actually hide underneath the table. That's what I do. (laughs) Essentially blocking that temptation stimulus from view. We're able to hold out the longest. And so that's um, one thing that researchers have learned about willpower is the fact that those of us who might seem to have the most actually have to exercise it the least mm-hmm. because we sidestep temptation by just keeping those things out of. Out of our view, like if, yeah. if you, your you know, pitfall is say chocolate or cigarettes or alcohol, you don't have chocolate or cigarettes or alcohol anywhere. You know, it's like if you're an alcoholic, you're not going to go to a bar.
2: Yeah, I read there was one commenter on the Wired article. The guy said that he kept his pack of cigarettes. He would only let himself buy one pack at a time, and he would keep it in the backseat of his car. So every time he wanted to smoke, he would have to go out, get his keys, go outside, get the pack of cigarettes, get one cigarette, because he would only let himself take one cigarette at a time, Mm -hmm. and then smoke it. And so that cut way down on just, like, the boredom smoking. Right. And he actually ended up cutting way down in general. And I'm like, well... Am I going to have to keep all of my chocolate in my car? you got to keep the cheesy
3: poofs in the trunk, Caroline.
2: (laughs) I have a hatch. I can so easily get to it. Um, Yeah, but that's the whole thing, too. I don't keep ice cream in the house. I don't go down the ice cream aisle at the grocery store. Like, if I super-duper want ice cream, it means that I have to either go to the grocery store and get it or just, like, stop by the ice cream parlor on the way home, which it's just so much of a hassle. Who wants to do
3: that? Well, and the only thing, though, about this kind of research is that it definitely gives us more insight into eliminating problem behaviors, but not so much into activating positive ones in terms of... Exercising, going to those Zumba classes. <laughs> um, I can't keep up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've never taken a Zumba class, but I have a feeling I would, I, I don't know. I got, I got two left feet, folks. Um, or, you know, like learning a new language or going on trips, those kind of volunteering, those kinds of things that require more time. But again, it seems like no matter what the big lesson is, you gotta start small.
2: Yeah. Definitely. yeah. Small steps are best. This was a stressed in LA, LA Times article in December 2011. Take short walks at work. Things like that. Things that can add up to small successes that can add up to a better feeling of self-control, self-esteem, like thinking, OK, that wasn't hard. Getting up at 330 when you're just like head on your desk, getting up and just taking a walk around your floor or around your building or whatever. That eventually leads you to be like, OK, well, maybe then I can run a mile on the treadmill instead when I get home, mm-hmm. you know, adding up to bigger and bigger things. And same with same with food. Um, it's the whole like if you're drastically cutting everything out, like, OK, well, I'm going to go from eating like a normal average American diet to lettuce. I'm going to eat nothing but lettuce and tomatoes. Yeah. A, that's not a balanced diet. Yeah. Yeah, you need some frosted flakes in there.
3: And also remember that, uh, those glucose levels too. it I mean, that has a big thing to do with the food. Like people need to, to eat to be healthy to keep those glucose.
2: Yeah, that's levels why, up. yeah, that's why your crash diets are not going to work. That's why it has mm-hmm. to be a lifestyle change. And Kimberly Moffat, who we referenced earlier, said in reference to food in particular, think of what you're adding instead of what you're taking away. This is something I've actually told my mother who refuses to. <laughs> I don't know, refuses to cut back in some areas and add in others. I'm like, don't think of it as dieting. This isn't like your nutri system. This isn't your uh, eating rice cakes and being sad. This is just trying to add fruits and vegetables, maybe take away a little bacon. I know. God, who wants to take away bacon? I don't know. Nobody. Vegetarians. But yeah, and and people uh, recommend that you don't spread yourself thin in addition to this. You want to set a single clear goal, because as we mentioned earlier, being overwhelmed with tasks and have to's and must do's, it just gets to be too much and you won't stick to it.
3: Yeah. And on that same note, I think this is really important. Don't overreact if you have a lapse. Lapses happen. If you skip a day of running, if you eat that hamburger, enjoy it. Enjoy the relaxation that you take from you know, not exercising one day, enjoy the satiation from that v- burger or whatever food it is that, that delights you so much. And then, you know, and, and keep going. Don't expect yourself to be completely perfect right off the
2: bat or yeah. really ever. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, don't think that that burger or that day off from running means your entire diet or exercise regimen or whatever is off track. Mm-hmm. You've That's just one, one day, one burger, one whatever. Bag uh, or bag of cheesy poops, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> whatever. But just that just means that the
3: next day you're back at it, right? Um, and we have not touched on gender at all in this podcast, but this this whole thing about willpower and managing stress and keeping your energy levels up is especially pertinent. To women, Because the American Psychological Association uh, did a pretty in-depth survey not too long ago on gender stress and sticking to resolutions and willpower and found that women may have a harder time sticking to goals like these than men do. And I wonder if off the bat, and I wasn't able to find any statistics on this, I wonder if just from the get go, women um, might set more resolutions and perhaps more unrealistic resolutions. And I only say that because I feel like as soon as the holidays are over, the messages that we are immediately inundated with are swimsuit seasons around the
2: corner, ladies. Yeah, drop those last five pounds. Shut all that turkey weight. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to give birth to a turkey. Um, yeah, it turns out in the study that both genders do cite lack of willpower as the number one barrier to change. But women are more likely than men to cite the lack of willpower as a barrier, preventing them from making the lifestyle changes recommended by a doctor. And so that's 34% women versus 24% men.
3: Yeah, and women are also far more likely than men to report that a lack of willpower has prevented them from changing eating habits. Um, When asked what they needed to change in order for their willpower to improve, women were more likely than men to say less fatigue and more confidence in their ability to improve their willpower. And also six times as many women uh, say that having more help with household chores would allow them to improve their willpower. And this was something that I was thinking about in terms of, you know, what it takes to set a resolution and really keep to it and make a lifestyle change. And as A single woman with no kids, like being as autonomous as I will ever be probably in my life, um, that I, I could see that happening. I could say, oh, I could, you know, I could I could do these kinds of things. Toss a kid in the mix. I don't know, you know, because that's uh, that increases your stress level. That, and I'm not blaming kids for things. I'm just saying that I can understand yeah. how having a partner, having a household to take care of, having children, even pets. Um, <laughs> I'm pet free. <laughs> uh, all of that can impact this brain space that it takes to really set yourself up for success. And it also speaks to, I mean, not to 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 be. Uh, kind of cliche about it, but it also speaks to the importance of, you know, establishing healthy lifestyles from the get-go, if possible.
2: And maybe just using your child uh, as a bench press. Just bench press your child. Incorporate if the child is taking up so much of your time incorporate the child into your exercise (laughs) regimen well no that is one of the bicep
3: curls with the child there you go if you got twin babies (laughs) um obviously on a padded surface (laughs) j-i-c um no but one of the one of the tips was just play with your kids because that knocks out increased family time and also gives you a little bit of exercise yeah so here we're here to help yeah. That's all we're doing. Yeah. And I do think that, um, uh, the, the, the fact that there are so many apps out there too, especially for people who want to start exercising more that will give you reminders, keeping some kind of accountability, something that's often cited as well as a good thing.
2: Yeah. To do. So this, this sounds like if I want to get back in the resolution game. Yeah. I should make a resolution along the lines of, Get moving a little bit every day. Yeah. So instead of going from nothing, going from walking from my car to my apartment, take a walk at three o'clock when I'm starting to feel tired at work. Yeah. It's the whole thing about taking the
3: stairs instead of the elevator mm-hmm. one day at a time. Like for, for me, uh, like I want to save money this year. And instead of what I've done in the past of saying by the end of this year, I want to have a million dollars. That's right. not going to happen. There's no way. Uh, actually saying, okay, each week, you yeah, know, breaking it down.
2: Well, I've also, in terms of money, like I've also set an amount every month that I'm going to put in savings and never touch again, because I actually am working towards a goal of buying a car. Mm-hmm. Like I have to get rid of my old dying, noisy car. And so I just have to be disciplined about that. But I do still let myself go out, sure, have a drink have a hamburger, go see friends, that kind of thing. I don't completely deprive myself of any social interaction that involves leaving the house because I would go insane, and then I would money binge and buy all of the shoes. Mm -hmm. Don't buy all of the
0: shoes. No. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because...
2: He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
3: So New Year's resolutions, do they work? Oftentimes, no, but it's just because, well, not just because, but I would say largely because... We go about them the wrong way.
2: Yeah, it's it's almost sort of a desperation move. Like, oh, my God, I was not responsible with fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And I need to suddenly backtrack and reverse however many months of damage. Whereas it might seem hard, but in the long run, it's easier to make that lifestyle change and be kind to yourself. Yeah,
3: that's a good message. Be kind to yourself in 2013.
2: And hey, that still stands in 2014. Keep being kind to yourself.
3: Yeah, Caroline, I think of all of the resolutions, be kind to yourself is one that is doable.
2: Yeah. We we can do that, right? Sure, we might have to work at it, you know? I think it's easy to beat ourselves up sometimes. Mm -hmm. But just as it's important to be kind to your fellow human, be nice to yourself, too. And you know what I'm going to resolve? Hmm. To have the best podcast
3: ever in 2014. Yes. So if you have... Any podcast suggestions that you would like us to tackle in this upcoming year, now is the time to let us know because we have some exciting things right around the corner. Not only is it a whole new year of all new podcast topics that we want to get your insight on, but we have the launch of a very special website where all of the podcast goodness will have a home. That's right. I'm talking a Stuff Mom Never Told You website coming out very soon. So stay
2: tuned for that. So, Kristen, one resolution that I think is pretty safe to make is to get myself more educated. And I'm going to do that by watching a whole bunch of the awesome documentaries that are on Netflix. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. And as a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and great documentaries streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console. And for Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, you can try
3: out Netflix for free with a 30-day trial membership by going to netflix.com slash mom and signing up now so that you can check out all of those documentaries, shows, movies, etc., all at netflix.com slash mom for that free 30-day trial membership. So don't delay, make your Netflix resolution today. And don't forget also to send us your podcast episode suggestions for 2014. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's really kick it off with some awesome episodes requested by you. You can email them to us at momstuffdiscovery.com. You can tweet us at podcast. You can message us on Facebook, and while you're at it, you can follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. You can check out our New Year's photos on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou, and you can also check out our vast library of Stuff Mom Never Told You videos, all on youtube.com slash stuffmomnevertoldyou, and don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair, but Pantene is changing that. Pantene's rosewater collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of
0: NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction.
1: And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.